Dan Yesian had good reason to wonder. Is this something that I can actually pull off? And are, am I going to be embarrassed by what I do? And were, will other people be embarrassed by what I did? I, I, did, I didn't know what to think. He had made a great living writing commercial jingles. Catch the spirit of Spirit Airlines. Plug the product and hope they buy it. That was his stock and trade, not classical music. And certainly not music about one of the darkest chapters in human history. I'm Roger Weber. Welcome to Mismatch, stories of the incompatible, the unsuitable, and the out of step. We're going to share some wonderful music as we follow a jingle writer's journey from commercials to a commemoration of the Armenian massacre. That heartbreaking story is about his own ancestors. So who is this guy, Dan Yesian? Well, maybe you don't know his name, but maybe you know his music. Whirlpool makes it easy. Yesian didn't speak English until he was four or five years old. His Detroit family is Armenian, an identity he did not embrace at first. Going to school in the lunchroom and having things like uh, a pilaf or shish kebab or sarma, which is rolled up grape leaves, those kinds of things uh, drew attention of the kid that was sitting next to me eating his peanut butter and jelly sandwich and his saying, uh, what's that? But around that time, he learned to play the clarinet and at 16, joined an Armenian band. After college, Yesian taught English and speech at a Detroit high school. He wasn't connecting with his students, so after four years, he quit and rented a tiny office next to a recording studio. It was a sweetheart deal with an ample amount of sweat equity. The recording studio owner said, listen, if you want to use a space, there's a space right next to me, but it's a bait and tackle shop. I said, are you kidding? He says, well, you got to go down, you got to go in there and gut it, I guess. If you want to put a desk and a phone and whatever you're going to do, then, you know, then you can come right next door, which is only 10 feet from me, into the studio and, and, and do your work. You could use your phone, you can sell your music or whatever the hell you're going to do over there. I said, oh, okay. So for two months, I was knocking down minnow tanks and finally got it cleaned up. 50 bucks a month. How could you beat it? That was the rent. That was 1971. He paid the bills by performing at weddings and bar mitzvahs and got his first break writing for Sesame Street. Think of all the fish making motion. Pollution means execution. Think of all the living. His target audience changed from kids to consumers. When advertisers needed a way to make their message stick, they called Dan Yesian. The jingles are catchy and occasionally kitschy, but they do the job, burrowing deep into the brains of consumers. Even when Yesian forgets the commercials he writes, listeners remember. As a matter of fact, the first jingle I did, Dietrich first, Dietrich, we, um, 
what the hell is it? Dietrich. Dietrich Furs. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Roger. Dietrich Furs by the Dietrich family. Good afternoon, Yasin. The Jingles mushroomed into a business headquartered in Farmington Hills, Michigan, with offices in New York, Los Angeles, and Hamburg, Germany. As far as the title, I mean, I'll just have to chew on that for a minute. All right. Well, we'll talk about it. Yeah, sure thing. Yeah. Yesian's company has made its musical mark in film, TV, advertising, video gaming, and theme parks. But he always wanted to write something more substantial, music which didn't coax people to buy, but made them think, made them care. His chance came after attending a concert at St. John Armenian Church in suburban Detroit. The priest said, Dan, you know, why don't you consider doing something in commemoration of the Armenian Genocide? In 2015, it would have been the 100th anniversary. So I said, well, that's interesting. I had never thought of doing something like that, coming from the discipline of writing jingles. I wrestled with the idea of wanting to do this, but being fearful of the fact that maybe it wasn't going to be good. This is the first thing that I've done that's serious. I, I've never done this before. And if somebody says, nah, I don't really like that, it's a really a rejection of yourself. But I finally got down to it, and I sat down at the piano and started working things out. One and a half million Armenians were murdered systematically in lands controlled by the Ottoman Empire. It happened primarily during World War I, but began in the late 1800s. 29 nations call it genocide. Modern-day Turkey, once the center of the Ottoman Empire, rejects that term. Whatever you call it, Armenians fled or died. What are they doing going out and actually murdering young children, women, and men that were not part of any of this? How do we do these things to each other? How do we squeeze the blood out of somebody? And for what reason? Heavy questions raised by a man known as the Jingle King. So we're in what we call the piano room of our home. And uh, I'm sitting here at was what, what I'm sitting here at what was Burt Bacharach's piano. It's a baby grand. And it's the M series, and it uh, still plays very, very beautifully. And Bert wrote a lot of great music on this piano, including this one. Raindrops keep falling on my head. I don't know all the words, but you know stuff like that. Or a house is not a home. I wish I knew the words, Roger. So that's... <laughs> Coming up, Dan Yessian painstakingly plots his Armenian opus. Well, he practically lived with his piano and worked on it day in and day out. Whenever he had a minute, that's what he was doing. He leaned on his wife, Kathy. They've been married 44 years. And call me down. What do you think of this? And that's how it went. All consuming. I would play something like, okay, so is it supposed to be a happy time in Armenia? What 
how can I make that sad? And then I go. But in time, the profanity faded and the music emerged. He would call it an Armenian trilogy. The first piece, Freedom, is an expose of what Armenia was before the Turks got a hold of the Armenians. It was a time when there was as much happiness as you could draw from daily life. There was dance. There was free discussion about things. Then there was the worry of normal life, you know, what people normally would go through, but not encumbered by anything close to what was <clears throat> going to overtake them. And that's where I got very excited, when I thought, you can go beyond 60 seconds and do something. He turned to the second leg of the trilogy called The Fear. Well, we could have called it The Annihilation, but I call it The Fear. Uh, there is a segment in the music where you'll hear... I see horsemen coming down, herding up Armenians like cattle and arranging them into single file into a forced march uh, with their spears and their, and their knives and their guns and whatever, that they're coming to take care of business. Now, let's, let's start with your grandfather and his, his memory of what right. happened. Uh, Aris Apgaryan. Who survived the massacre and fled to Syria then Greece, then Cuba. Was talking about some of the experiences that he had in Turkey. Although he was reluctant to speak about it, I urged him to just open up. And finally he did, and we discussed the murder of his wife. He saw her pulled into the forced march across the desert and then he didn't know what happened to her after that. How did this affect you emotionally as you composed the music? Well, this is a little embarrassing. Sometimes when I call, not sometimes, probably all the time, when I would call Kathy down to listen to a segment of something, and she's going to tell you, every time Dan plays music, he starts crying. Why are you crying? It's so perfect now. You have it just right. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's making me cry. He, you know, he didn't really understand where all this emotion was coming from. Writing this music strengthened my faith because I don't think that I could have done this music by myself. I believe that 
there was some divine intervention. But Yesian is the first to acknowledge that the slaughter of 1.5 million human beings raises doubts about the very existence of God. That led him to the final leg of the trilogy. The third part is called the faith. And the faith resides on that place where we were left with in the second movement, God, where are you? It's that struggle. It's that place where outside of a genocide, if we talk about life in general, and you're talking about two parents who lose their child, you're talking about an accident where somebody gets killed. You're talking about bad things. You're talking about dark things. You're thinking about these things. And you're saying to yourself, do I believe? Do I not believe? If you don't believe, what are you left with? Is there something that's going to um, give you enough faith that you're not alone in this process, that there is something that could help you if you believe strongly enough, or is that a bunch of BS? One and a half million Armenians. The number gives a sense of the enormity of the genocide. What it doesn't give you is an appreciation for each individual who died, each with unique talents, each with friends, families, futures, all wiped away. But Yesian, in the final movement, had a name in mind. Her Armenian name was Arshalus, but Aurora Mardiganian, who was one of the victims of this genocide, who was uh, sold to a Turkish diplomat for 85 cents so that he could uh, have his way with her. Uh, and in the absence of her mother and father who were killed, and in the absence of her siblings, she was going through all this, and I have no idea how you could sustain any of that. Aurora escaped to America, and in 1918 was the focus of a book called Ravished Armenia. It led to a silent movie the following year in which she played herself. Her efforts raised an estimated $30 million for Armenian relief. In the 1970s, she granted an interview, which is now in the archives of the USC Shoah Foundation. My mother was perished. I found the body. I didn't see right before my eyes. But my aunt, my two aunts, was killed right before my eyes. They tie up my hair, and I said, and then they killed. Please, I said, save them. No, no, that sooner or later, you're gonna, all you're going to die. There will be no one single Armenian to leave. We're going to kill all your dogs, all your I thought... Don't be a wimp. You can write this music. Look what this woman sustained. You've got to be able to recapture emotionally what you think that she was going through. It was so painful and all. Think about her. And uh, that's the way they want to finish us. Think about all that she went through. So they will have all our land, our country. And try to bring that to light in your music. Yesian could have stopped there, but this perfectionist worked for one more touch, a vocal addendum, a coda to use the musical term, I See Wings, performed by Kenny Watson, captures a mood of grief, remembrance, and hope. The birds return, 
After four months of work, he finished an Armenian trilogy, Freedom, Fear, and Faith. On a desk near his piano is the main score, a thick bundle outlining the notes, tempo, and dynamics for an 82-piece orchestra. The music you've heard so far is a studio creation. But not for long. The Armenian trilogy is about to be performed by a Philharmonic Orchestra, and it will debut in Yerevan, Armenia. Yesian will be in the audience and for the first time in the land of his ancestors. Are you nervous about seeing this and hearing this in Armenia? I'm totally nervous. I'm thinking to myself, geez, if these guys mess up, how am I, I'm, sit, I'm gonna be sitting next to my wife and holding my breath. Uh, she, she's not gonna to wanna to hold my hand because I could probably squeeze the blood out of it. In October of 2017, Dan and Kathy arrived in Armenia to see his homeland and to hear his music. While he was there, Dan made some recordings for us. This feels so surreal, I can't tell you. I, I, Dan saw a huge, familiar image on the outside of the concert hall. As I look at my picture up there, and uh, something like this is very unusual for me, and I'm just stunned and... Yes, he sampled restaurants and historic sites, and he dropped in on rehearsals. I, I gotta tell you, I was welling up again. I'm a little sap, but... On the night of the performance in Kachaturian Concert Hall, Yesian carried Kleenex to his fourth row seat. He needed it. Is there a lesson for all of us in your experience writing this music? Don't think too much ahead of yourself. Think about what you want to achieve. If you have some liberty of time, take it step by step. Don't get too caught up with when am I going to get done? When am I going to finish? Consider it as a journey. Enjoy and steep yourself into every minute and try to taste it. Just taste the minutes and hopefully you'll you'll find yourself when the clock is done in a place that you you were very happy with when it ended dan heard his name called and walked onto the stage he shook hands with the conductor and the concert master and then the jingle king turned to the audience and took a bow Thanks for listening. 
We've posted Dan Yesian's entire Armenian trilogy on our Facebook page. Find us there at Mismatch Podcast. We'll also share information about Dan's favorite Armenian charity. Next time on Mismatch, when a rare wild animal is discovered, an amateur scientist begins a six-year obsession, endangering his life. Well, I, I wasn't supposed to walk more than uh, 100 or 200 feet at a time. Wasn't supposed to lift more than 10 pounds. Surely wasn't supposed to go on a three-mile hike back in a ball carrying a 35-pound pack. You are crazy, I think. Mismatch is a production of Graham Media Group with WDIV Local 4 in Detroit. It's produced by Zach Rosen and written and narrated by me, Roger Weber. You can find us at mismatchpodcast.com. If you've been enjoying our show, please let your friends know about Mismatch and consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks. Thanks.